He is risen. Praise God. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church Easter at Desert Breeze 2018, Because He Lives. That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along as we get started here. The teacher was extremely enthusiastic. She looked at the class of four-year-olds and asked this question, does anyone know what today is? A little girl held up her finger and said, yes, today is Palm Sunday. The teacher exclaimed, that's fantastic, that's wonderful. Now, does anyone know what next Sunday is? The same little girl held up her finger and she said, yes, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And once again, the teacher said, that's fantastic. Now, does anyone know what makes next Sunday Easter? And the same little girl responded and said, yes, next Sunday is Easter because Jesus rose from the grave. And before the teacher could congratulate her, she kept on talking and said, but if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in for seven weeks. So children aren't the only ones who can be confused about what Easter is all about. And if you have any confusion about Easter, I hope that I'm able to clear that up for you. Look at your notes there. Jesus' work on the cross is finished, but the benefits we gain from his resurrection are never ending. We're going to look at those benefits here this morning. Would you bow your heads with me once again? Let's, let's just ask for God's help as we dive into our notes in these verses. God, we love you. We thank you. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Show us wonderful things from your word as we celebrate the benefits of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Make these truths not just clear to our minds, but real to our hearts, transforming every part of our lives for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Take a look at the screen. Also, grab your sermon notes out. Let's, uh, I'm going to have you uh, participate by reading some of these verses. These two, uh, first two verses are really kind of the platform, kind of the launching pad for our study here this morning as we're looking at uh, the benefits of Christ being raised from the dead. How does that benefit our lives? Because he lives, we'll look at four of those, but... As I stated, this is kind of the launch pad for it. Romans 1, 4. Let's read this verse together and aloud. You see it up there on the screen? Let's do it together. One, two, three. He, Jesus, was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how was he raised from the dead? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And what did it show? It showed that he was the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It's a historical fact proving that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, and that he came to do what he said he came to do. And if that is true, then it would be crazy not to follow him. It would be absolutely crazy not to give your life totally to him. So, so what did he come to do? That's our next verse, Romans 6, 4. Let's read this verse together and aloud. You'll see it up on the screen? Nice and loud. Let's fill this room with our voices. Here we go. One, two, three. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the power... I'm sorry, by glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Don't follow me, okay? I just messed you guys up, didn't I? Sorry about that. I've said power, but it's actually glory. And you guys kind of hesitated there for a minute, but then you kept going. Good. So take a look at this verse. This is an interesting verse. 
So we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. So this verse is really giving us the gospel message and how we're to connect with that gospel message. So let me give you the gospel just so that you understand what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins and all who repent and believe have everlasting life, eternal life. And so it's a work of God. He does the work. We don't do the work. We put our faith in the one that does the work. And so what he's saying here in this verse, did you notice he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. What is that about? Well, it's talking about water baptism. So when you put your faith in Jesus, the very first thing that you want to do is make that public through water baptism. We do a couple water baptisms here a year. Uh, our next one is... Um, in May, the very first weekend of May. We usually baptize anywhere from 50 to 100 folks a year. It's absolutely fantastic. We love it because people are making that public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, that means that they're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the term for that, the theological term, is substitutionary atonement. And so in this verse, it's just saying, hey, what Jesus did, he did for me. He took all my sins on the cross, and he gave me his perfect righteousness, his perfect record. So he took my bad record, and he gave me his perfect record, and now I stand before God completely righteous. It's pretty spectacular when you understand that and you live in the reality of that. And, and that's, that's what that's saying there. And if you've never confessed Christ, I hope that you do today, and if you've never been baptized, we would love to, we would love to hold you under the water for a real long time just to... <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't do that. We'll get you out of that water fast. But, but what you're doing is you're making a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. You're identifying with the substitutionary atonement. Atonement is a big word. It just means at one moment. That I've been reconciled to God. It's not based on my work. It's based on his work. And it's pretty spectacular when you do that. So let's put these two verses together. And so, the, so what this means is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a historical fact. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on in our study. So Romans 1.4 makes that clear. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a historical fact, Romans 1.4, but can and should be a daily reality of life transformation. That's Romans 6. Four. And did you notice the end of that verse, Romans 6, 4, so that we too might walk in, what was that, what does that say? Newness of life. Newness of life. The gospel doesn't make you a nice person. Well, it, it will make you a nice person, okay, but, but it makes you a new person because a lot of times people think, well, I've got to be nice. Well, I'm going to be nice because after the gospel, the niceness, and it was C.S. Lewis, the philosopher, who said the gospel doesn't make us nice people. It makes us new people. There's a major difference between the two. And you've got to understand the difference between the two. A, a nice person is, is really more of a moral restrained will. It's, it's, a, it's extrinsic motivation. It's more motivated out of fear and pride to where a new person, a brand new person, is someone who's motivated out of a heart that's captivated by the love and the beauty of Jesus. And so he's come to not, not a morally restrained will, but a supernaturally transformed heart. He transforms our lives. And that's, that's what we celebrate, and that's what this is about. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a historical fact, but can and should be a daily reality of life transformation. We walk in newness of life. So what does that look like? Well, because he lives, let me give you four things here. I'll give you just a quick overview, and then we'll work through each, each of these four. But because he lives, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me. 
I can have a purpose I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me. I can have a pleasure or a joy not based on circumstances. I can have a power that can transform my daily life to face anything, and I I can have a place for me in heaven after I die. That's where we're headed. Let's begin with the first one here. So because he lives, this is this newness of life. Because he lives, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me. There is not a more fundamental question than what is the purpose or meaning of life. Without purpose for our lives, people can lose their desire to even survive. During World War II, the Nazis had set up a camp uh, factory in Hungary where prisoners were made to labor amid barbarous conditions. One day, the prisoners were ordered to move a, a huge pile of garbage from one end of the camp to the other. The next day, they were ordered to, to move the pile back to its original location. Thus began a pattern. Day after day, the prisoners were forced to haul the same mountain of garbage from one end of the camp to the other. Soon, the impact of, on the prisoners of that mindless, meaningless labor and existence begin to surface. An elderly prisoner began sobbing uncontrollably and had to be uh, led away. Then another man began screaming until he was beaten into silence. A third man who had endured three years of labor in the camp suddenly broke away and began running toward the uh, electrified fence. He was told to stop or he would be electrocuted, but he didn't care. He flung himself on the fence and died in a blinding flash. In the days that followed, moving the pile from one end of the camp to the other, dozens of prisoners went insane, yet their captors, their captors were unfeeling. What the prisoners didn't know was that they were part of a Nazi experiment in mental health. The goal was to determine what would happen when people were subjected to meaningless activity. The Nazis wanted to see what life would become without a sense of purpose. And so the Nazis wanted to see what life would, would become without a sense of purpose and concluded that the result was insanity and suicide. The commandant even remarked that at this rate, there would be no need to use the gas chambers. Fascinating story. When people say that their lives feel meaningless, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have good jobs or family and friends and the means to live a comfortable life. It means that they are not sure what all of the activity is being done for. They're just wondering, what, what, is, what is the purpose of life? That, that all of their activity, that it matters, that it makes a difference or accomplishes anything beyond itself. See, you can have a, a successful life, you can have a lot of money, you can be very gifted and talented and not know your purpose and not have a sense of significance. You were born, you were born... You were not born, let me just say, you were not born to just go to work, pay the bills, and have some fun on the weekends and then die. You were, there's more to life than that, just kind of going through the motions each and every day, each and every week. When it comes to meaning in life, you only have two choices. 
When it comes to meaning in life, you only have two choices. You, you probably know what those two choices are. You can either find your meaning in creation, somewhere in creation, or you're going to find your meaning in the creator. We all do it. And by the way, when you find your meaning in creation, oftentimes they're, they're very good things. They're good things that we've turned into ultimate things. They can be marriage, having kids, career pursuit, you know, financial success in some form or fashion. It can be any number of those things. But the problem is, is that we were made, the Bible tells us that we were made for more than all of that. If, if we look to created things to give us meaning, hope, and happiness, the meaning, hope, and happiness that only the creator can give us, it will control our lives and eventually break our hearts. It's inevitable because it's something that's temporal as opposed to building our sense of meaning on the eternal. So you're either going to build your life on something that's very temporal and it's going to control you and eventually break your heart, or you can build your life on the eternal. And, uh, and you were made for something much more than the temporal. You were made for the eternal. In fact, this next verse kind of helps us to understand that. This is what we were ultimately made for, First Peter 1, 3. Let's read this verse together and aloud. You guys ready? Nice and loud. Here we go, one, two, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a powerful verse. There's, there's some phrases there I want you to point out. In fact, if you have a pen, you can underline these phrases in your notes there. But according to his great mercy, underline great mercy, those two words, great mercy. The next phrase here is born again. So because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Underline those two words, born again. And then the next phrase I want you to underline is living hope. So great mercy, born again, living hope. Let's go through that to help us to understand our meaning in life because I think he's giving that to us here. So great mercy, the word great means what? A whole lot of something, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what it means. So he's, when he says great, he's just saying a whole lot of what? A whole lot of mercy. Mercy is God's kindness and goodwill toward us. Actually, the Greek word literally means it means this, great mercy means a whole lot of kindness and goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted. That's us living in a fallen world. We're broken people joined with a desire to help them. So when it's saying that God has this great mercy for us, he really, really cares about you whether you realize that or not. And not only that, he wants to be a part of your life. It's just not, it's just not that he has this deep affection for you. And, and goodwill towards you, but he wants to enter into your life and be a part of your life. That's pretty spectacular. And, um, and in fact, God's affection for you is so intense that he wouldn't let even death and hell stand between you and him, even if it meant having his son enter infinite suffering for you. That's an amazing thought. So why? Why does he give us this great mercy so that he could cause us to be born again? Born again. What does that mean? It means to, to be made alive spiritually. It means to be in right relationship with God. It means this newness of life that we talked about. And, and I think being born again, basically, it means that there is no sin or suffering that is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. 
That's what it means to be born again. So this newness of life, no matter what kind of sin you might have in your life or what kind of suffering that you may be enduring or working through, it is not a match for what God can do in your life. Because of his great mercy, he can make us born again, bring us into right relationship with God so that then we can have a living hope, living hope. There's the purpose. There's the meaning. Living hope is a purpose in life that suffering can't take from you. And so this living hope basically is just saying there's, that there's nothing, nothing can change a human heart, heal a wounded soul, give meaning, hope, and happiness really like, like the gospel. This is the essence of the gospel. And uh, so, so what is this? Okay, okay, okay. I think I'm tracking with you, Pastor Ray, but what is this? What is, what is our ultimate meaning in life? What, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Well, it's, it's to have a relationship with God. That's the purpose of life. It's to, it's to know God and to make him known. That's, that's what it is. When you become a Christian, you become a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior Jesus of cosmic proportions. And, and, um, and so basically, you could summarize your purpose in life is to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. There's nothing more important than to do that. In fact, Jesus summarized it because Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? What's the most important thing that we can uh, make as the purpose of our lives? You guys remember what the great commandment is? That we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. There you go, to know God and to, and to make him known. I believe that the absolute best part of being a Christian is discovering and enjoying the presence and friendship of Jesus Christ. That's to know God. Nothing will satisfy you more. Nothing will satisfy you more than when you discover and enjoy the presence and friendship of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it's unimaginable that the God of the galaxies would be my closest friend, and he wants to be your closest friend. Psalm 25, John 15 makes that clear. And so when you begin to walk in this relationship with him and when you begin to taste of fellowship with him, man, you're going to want anybody that you care about to also to experience that relationship, that fellowship with him. And so, so to know him and to make him known. And so, so, so this is... Uh, so how does that help me through life, and how, why would that uh, help to even endure the worst kind of suffering? Well, I mean, it, it makes sense. It just absolutely makes sense that if, if, if we know him and are making him known, suffering not only can't take that from you, but only drives you deeper into your relationship with Christ and makes his work in your life more vivid and attractive to those around you, therefore making him known. Okay, before we move on, just to make sure you get this. Out of all of your pursuits, and some of you have some really good pursuits. There's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those pursuits, whatever they might be. They might be really, really good, good pursuits, but they're not as important and as good as knowing him and making him known. And, and, and that will, that is a pursuit, that is a purpose that all the suffering in this world can't take from you. It only drives you deeper into that relationship with him. So because he lives, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me. Here's the next one. I can have a pleasure or a joy not based on circumstances. 
I can have a pleasure or a joy not based on circumstances. Let's read this next verse together aloud. You guys ready? John 16, 22. Here we go. One, two, three. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Oh, my goodness. Do you see that, that last phrase? And no one will take your joy from you. He's talking to his disciples. He's moments away from being betrayed and abandoned by all of them. They're going to be fleeing him like rats jumping off of a sinking ship. And he's told them some of the things that are about to come down, and they're upset about that. They're wondering, well, where are you going? What's this all about? And they're upset, and they're sorrowful. And did you notice what he says here? He says, you're going to be sorrowful now, but I will see you again. What does that mean that he will see them again? It's the resurrection. That's what it means. It's amazing. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. See, if you begin to understand the implications of the resurrection, it gives you a joy that no one can take from you. It goes beyond our circumstances. One of my favorite... uh, letters in the New Testament is Philippians. It's four chapters, and uh, the reason why I like it is because uh, what's unique about it is that, about Philippians, is that it is written by a man in prison, Paul, to people under extreme hardship, and yet he seems to be filled with joy. He's filled with pleasure. The theme of the book is joy. Its derivatives are used some 16 times in these four chapters, just short little book, little letter. Joy is all about Jesus. We see that in the first chapter because Jesus, his name is is stated 17 times in the first chapter alone. And in fact, the key verse of this whole letter is... uh, Philippians 4.4, maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe you've memorized it. It's an easy one to memorize. It's a good one to take with you throughout the day. Are you you familiar with that? Philippians 4.4, it says, uh, let me help you out. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Yeah, that's a great verse. So now let me define for you what that means to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me define for you joy. It's on your notes right there. So here's what joy is. Joy is a buoyancy based on the pleasure found in the eternal privileges or promises I have in God. So you guys are familiar with the term buoyancy. It'd be kind of like this idea. The idea here is, let me give you a picture here. You got a big beach ball, and and if if some of you have a backyard uh, swimming pool, how many have backyard swimming pools? Swimming pools? Okay. Go ahead and leave your address uh, in the information. I'll know where to go this summer. Uh, we'll, we'll just do, we'll do some pool hopping. We'll just go from pool to pool. But so how many have ever done this before in a backyard barbecue, barbecue, backyard uh, swimming pool? Bar- Let's do barbecue too, okay? I didn't kind of drop that hint there. So we'll do backyard swimming and uh, barbecue. But you get a, uh, uh, now I can't even remember what I was going to talk about. <laughs> oh, you got a beach ball. So you got a beach ball and you've put it and you kind of hang on to it, but then you try to push it down below you and you try to stand on it. Anybody ever try to do that? Stand on it? What, what happens? Eventually you get knocked off and where does the beach ball go? Whoop, right up to the surface. That's our lives. Difficulties can push us down, but they can't keep us down because of the joy that we have in the Lord, these pleasures that are found in the eternal promises and privileges that are ours through Jesus Christ. 
Here's what's interesting about uh, joy, because oftentimes when you ask someone, well, what's the opposite of joy? A lot of people would say, well, it's sadness. No, it isn't. Because you can still be sad and you can grieve and still have joy. The Bible talks about that. They can be happening at the same time. In fact, that would show that you're really healthy because you're not denying reality. But in the midst of the difficult times of your life, you're able to grieve. And yet in the midst of that grief, there's a buoyancy in your life based on the pleasures you find in the eternal promises of God. So the opposite of, uh, of joy is not sadness, but it is despair, it's hopelessness. And, and so that's why we can have a, a pleasure, we can have a, a joy even in the midst of difficulties and that's not based on circumstances, even in the worst kind of circumstances. So what are the eternal promises that we have in Christ Jesus? Do you have any idea how many promises are in the Bible pertaining to those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ? Do you have any idea how many would you kind of come up with? How many do you think? Anybody want to guess? You want to yell them out to me? 500? Okay, that's a good guess. Way short though, okay? That's good though. 500, that 500 is a big number. There's, there's actually 3,000, 3,000, 3,000. 3,000 promises in God's word. So that, that should take us all the way to eternity, shouldn't it? I mean, that's a lot of promises. So, so the Bible contains over 3,000 promises, each ready to be accessed by faith. Listen to what it says in, in 2 Peter 1.4. He has granted to us his precious, so very valuable, and very great a whole lot of promises is what he's saying here. If you don't know God's promises, you can't claim them. They're like checks sent to you piling up in your mailbox, waiting for you to cash. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119.50. His promises comfort us in affliction. So, so what do we do when we don't know God's promises? This is what I do when I don't know God's promises is that in times of affliction, I worry, I become bitter, and I get depressed. That's what I do. So let me ask you this. When I talk about promises of God, and there's some 3,000, so you got a big group to pick from, what's your favorite promises? What are your go-to verses that when life is pushing you down, it doesn't keep you down because you're able to run to those promises and it gives you that sense of buoyancy as you find deep pleasure in what God has promised you through Christ Jesus. What are those promises? What are his uh, promises to you? What would come to mind? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there should be a whole lot of promises that just start kind of rolling out of your mouth and you're just thinking, wow, yeah, this one, oh yeah, and this one over here, and oh my goodness, this one is really helpful. And, and recently, this is the one I've been looking at that's really been helpful for me. So guess what? I'm going to test you right now. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and ask them what's their favorite promise in the Bible. Real quick, do that. Okay, did I put you on the spot? You guys have, have some promises? 
I mean, listen, you should have a ton of those. Here's what I was doing this last week. I do this quite regularly, but I'll go around. I put, I'll put them on the three-by-five cards, and here's what I was on Good Friday. Uh, man, we had a couple really fantastic services on Good Friday, but here, I, I had about four or five verses that I was meditating on throughout the day, but here's one. Let me just share one with you, and then I'm going to share my favorite with you, okay? So I had to share this one first, <laughs> but this one is really a good one. First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's good. You take that one around with you throughout the day. Oh, my goodness. Talk about buoyancy. But here's my favorite. Okay, here's my favorite. And the, and the reason why it's my favorite is because it's, it's a promise that covers all of his promises, okay? That's, that's how powerful this promise is. In fact, it's Romans 8, 31 and 32. You hear me probably quoted a lot here. If God is for us, who can be against us? You guys familiar with it? How many are familiar with it? Yes. Oh, my goodness. He's for you. He's for you. When you understand that God is for you, who can be against you? What are you facing? You don't need to be sweating that stuff, okay? If God is for us, who can be against us? But listen to how it continues on. He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Now, do you hear what he's saying here? This is gospel logic. And this is how I kind of work it down into my heart, is, uh, is that if he didn't spare his own son to take care of my worst problem, you know what your worst problem is? How many, how many have problems here? Show of hands, show of hands, okay. How many know that they're sitting next to one of their biggest problems? Okay. Okay, maybe not. But... Uh, uh, we all have problems, but guess what? The Bible says, guess what your worst problem is? The Bible's already nailed our, our, our worst problem. Our worst problem is that we're going to be eternally separated from God because of our sin. And if he didn't spare his own son to rescue us, what that verse is saying, he's got all of your other problems taken care of too. If you can trust him with your worst problem, all of your lesser problems, by the way, every other problem is lesser con compared to that one, he's got you covered. See, this gospel logic so, so what do I do? When I'm going through a real difficult time, I'm wondering, oh, God, is there any way that you're going to be able to see me through this? I always go back to the gospel and say, wait, wait, wait. You took care of my worst problem. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us how many things? All things, everything. He's got all the bases covered. And so what happens in my life, when, I, when, when we give way to inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression, we are committing an act of gospel irrationality. I don't trust him because I see his hand in my circumstances. Because a lot of times I don't. I trust him because I see his heart on the cross, and if he would do that for me, I can trust him with everything else. And you can do the same. Because he lives, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me, a pleasure or a joy not based on circumstances. Here's the next one, a power that can transform my daily life to face anything. Here's the next, uh, next verse. This is a long one. Let's see if we can read this uh, together and aloud. This is, this is going to take a little more work. You guys ready? I'll try not to mess you guys up on this one, okay? 
Here we go. This is Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, 1, 2, 3. I pray that you will begin to understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Wow, that's, that's powerful. I mean, listen, look what it says. So I pray that you will begin to understand. What is it he wants us to understand? There's a number of things that he says here in this text, but here's one thing that stands out. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So there's a power that he makes available to those who believe according to what? What is that power? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is what it's saying. It's amazing. The same power that brought Jesus back to life is the same power that you can have in your daily life. That's what it's saying. It's amazing. So where do you need resurrection power in your life? Where do you need resurrection power in your life? What's dying or dead in your life that you need God's power to bring it back to life? Marriage? Parenting? Struggle with a hurt or habit or hang-up, temptation, a trial, recent trauma or past trauma. How about your, your life physically or spiritually or emotionally? Listen to what Romans 8.11 says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You were never meant to do life on your own strength and energy only. He wants to indwell us and empower us with his presence. The difference between God and humans is that humans can resuscitate, but only God can resurrect. He can bring life where there is death. God has a power for you that is greater than any problem that you're going through right now or will ever go through. He has a power available to you right now. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you'll ever face, his power is greater. His power is greater. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise a dead spiritual or emotional life, a dead marriage, a dead career, a dead dream. Nancy and I have, a, have an espresso machine that is fully automatic, and it pulls some of the best shots consistently I have ever tasted, even better than Starbucks, okay? And uh, we love our coffee. But this espresso machine is totally worthless if it is not plugged into the power source. It's not plugged into the electricity. If you're going to experience his power, you've got to get plugged in. How do you do that? First of all, you've got to, you've got to put your faith in Christ Jesus. You've got to, by grace, through faith in Christ, come into relationship with God, understand what he's done for you, and do that, and then begin to walk in vital union and communion with him each and every day with the assistance of a local church family like Desiree's. You need people around you that help you to do that and to live that out. And as you're connected to his power, you begin to experience his supernatural power in your life unlike you've ever experienced before. 
Because he lives, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me, a pleasure or a joy not based on circumstances, a power that can transform my daily life to face anything and a place in heaven for me after I die. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most attested two miracles of history. Acts 1.3 says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Did you know that much of the, most of the New Testament is written by eyewitness accounts, by eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ? And in fact, a, a, another part of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul who was a persecutor of Christ He persecuted uh, Christ, persecuted Christians only to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He's talking about post-resurrection, most of whom are still alive. That was written within 15 years of the resurrection. He's just saying, hey, it's a historical fact. He resurrected. Oh, by the way, you can go and talk to the folks that encountered the resurrected Christ. And by the way, those that encountered him, they went to their deaths proclaiming the love and the power of Jesus Christ. I love the story. It was, there was an, an agnostic professor condescendingly condescendingly confronted a little girl who believed in Jesus. And and this is what he, he said. He said, there are many throughout history who have claimed they were God. How can you be sure who told the truth? Which one of these men can you believe? And the girl responded without hesitation. I believe the one who rose from the dead. Yes. Yes. Jesus' resurrection not only validated that he is who he said he is, God in the flesh, but also that he came to do what he said he came to do. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at John eleven twenty five through 26. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Lazarus, they're friends of Jesus, very close friends of Jesus. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, And uh, Jesus delays his coming to them. Lazarus dies. He's been in the grave now for four days. He finally shows up. And Martha runs out to him and gives him a piece of her mind. She's pretty upset over this. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What is he saying here? He's saying a lot. But I think one of the things that he's saying is that there is more to life than the here and now. Death is not the end. One of these days, your heart will stop beating. And that will be the end of your body, but not the end of you. Where will you spend eternity? There's only two choices. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Jesus talked about both heaven and hell, but he talked more about hell than he did heaven. And those are the two choices. 
because he lives, you can have a place in heaven for you after you die. Listen to what he says in John 14, one through three. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Charles Spurgeon told about a man who said to a dying believer, farewell, friend, I shall never see you again in the land of the living. The dying Christian replied, I shall see you again in the land of the living where I am going. This is the land of the dying. Here's a quote from Billy Graham, who was born November the 7th, 1918, died February the 21st of this year. 2018 at 99 years old. Here's a quote from him. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. So how do I get these benefits? Here's how you get them, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me, let me help you to do that, even right now. The most important decision you'll make for time and for eternity is to confess Christ as your Savior. So God, I pray that many would be doing that now, maybe for the first time, and may all of us do that uh, as a renewal of our faith in you, as we acknowledge our sin that separates us from you, and we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins, and so we now confess him as our Savior and our Lord. God, help us to, to begin to understand the implications of that, and help us to see the salvation is a, is a posture of repentance and faith that we begin in a moment and maintain the rest of our lives entering into this relationship with you. And so, God, help us to work out the implications of, of your resurrection, that because you live, I can have a purpose that suffering can't take from me, a pleasure not based on circumstances, a power that can transform my daily life to face anything and a place in heaven for me after I die. We thank you for these many benefits of what you've accomplished for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Next weekend, we continue our teaching series. We took a break this weekend. We've been working our way through Exodus. Next weekend, we continue our study through Exodus. The title of the weekend's message is Desert Adversities, Exodus 16, 17. God's people are in the desert facing adversities on their way to the promised land. Desert adversities will either make you or break you, but they will never leave you the same. And we'll talk about that next week and how they can make us. Would you stand with us?